Good morning, friends. Happy New Year. Well, how would you like 2022 to be a truly great year, a blessed year, day after day after day after day? Well, Psalm 1 is my text for today, and it tells us how we can be continually blessed every day. In just six short verses, we learn the secret of the life God blesses, and it has nothing to do with New Year's resolutions. See, every January, a lot of us make a list of things we want to change. Well, I don't make a list like that anymore, but I instead turn to Scripture. And so today, the blessing that Psalm 1 talks about goes much deeper. It says, blessed is the man. Now, that's God's prescription. Now, as we study this psalm today, we're going to discover the blessedness that relates to the way we live and the choices we make, the kind of people we are. And from God's point of view, there are two ways and only two ways to live because there are two kinds of people in the world. And what are they? They are the righteous and they are the wicked. Everyone falls into those two categories. There's no in-between category. Psalm 1 shows us how the righteous live and why they are blessed. It also shows us the end result of both ways of life. And if you want to be blessed by God in 2022... We need to pay attention to this psalm that provides, and this is really the title of today's message, a little kickstart to 2022. Let's start with the way of the righteous. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3 read, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, we could summarize the message of these verses in five simple statements. And here's statement number one. It's possible for a person to have a truly blessed and happy life. Verse one begins with a Hebrew phrase that literally means something like, Oh, the blessedness of man. Or, how happy is the man who, well, in biblical terms, to be blessed means to be rightly related to God so that your life is fulfilled and you experience deep personal satisfaction. Now, it's important to know that this sort of happiness is not related to our circumstances. And it doesn't come simply by seeking for it. You find happiness not by seeking it, but by doing certain things and not doing other things. The blessing comes as a side benefit of the choices we make. A wise man said that happiness is like a cat. Seek it and it will run from you, but go about your business steadily and soon you'll find up that it's curled up on your lap or at your feet. Now, how true that is. Then the most miserable people on New Year's Eve are those who seek happiness by hopping from one party to another and from one bar to another. I mean, true happiness and lasting contentment simply cannot be found that way. And as a result, many people doubt we can ever find happiness in this world. Now, in the last few years, our nation has experienced so much pain and so much confusion, so much doubt and so much sadness. And no one really knows what the future holds. Now, why is that? Is because something has gone badly wrong in the world and no one, it seems, knows quite what to do about it. Now, Psalm 1 assures us that it is possible to live a blessed and happy life, but only on God's terms. The world offers entertainment, cheap thrills, momentary pleasure, but true happiness, authentic joy, and true peace are found only in the Lord. 
Now, here's statement number two, that blessedness begins with the negative, not the positive. Now, Psalm 1 surprises many people because it begins not with positive, but with a negative. And the blessing begins with what the righteous person does not do. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of mockers. Now, have you ever considered the progression involved here? It's walk, stand, sit. Now, first the man is walking down the road, then he stops and hangs out with sinners, and eventually they prove to be such good company that he sits down and has fellowship with them. Now, what started as casual contact in the end becomes a declaration of personal allegiance. The counsel of the wicked means the advice of the, well, let's call them morally unstable. It's a general term that describes the worldview of those who don't know the Lord. The way of sinners involves a series of lifestyle choices. The seed of mockers means to have close, intimate, long-term fellowship with those who openly reject the Lord. And so the progression goes something like this. Thinking, behaving, belonging. See, worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which results in worldly fellowship. Now, let me be very clear on this point. Blessings come not only from what we do, but also from what we don't do. Blessed people avoid certain things, and they avoid certain people in certain situations. They don't hang out just anywhere, and they don't quickly buy into every line of stinking thinking. And they are very careful not to join themselves to the company of those who don't love the Lord. Now, this word is much needed at the beginning of a new new year, and if you decide to seek God in 2022... Uh, I got to tell you, the devil's going to oppose you at every turn. One of his strategies will be to surround you with people who would like to lead you astray. The tricky part is those people won't seem to be bad people at first. I mean, they're nice enough and seem to be decent enough. They're just, well, they're just not godly. That's all. They don't share your personal faith in Jesus. It's not like they wear a T-shirt that says, I'm working for the devil or let's go to hell together. It doesn't happen like that. But understand, friends, sin never stands still. It always moves to control us. What starts as casual contact leads to increasing closeness and permanence of association. Eventually, there is increasing boldness of evil accompanied by a lowering of our own inhibitions. We laugh at jokes that once we would have would seem pretty crude to us, or we compromise our values in a way we would never thought possible. We consent to things that would have greatly troubled us in the past. Unless I'd be misunderstood, let me make myself clear. If you sleep with the pigs, eat with the pigs, run with the pigs, hang out with the pigs, talk like the pigs, walk like the pigs, laugh like the pigs, and dress like the pigs, in short, you will basically do what pigs do, and you shouldn't be surprised that you end up smelling like the pigs, sounding like the pigs, and looking like the pigs. Is that pretty clear? See, in the end, you'll be indistinguishable from the pigs. You're going to become like the people around you. This is true whether they're good or evil. Now, as soon as I put it that way, I can hear maybe some of you object, but how are you going to reach the lost if we don't spend time with them? You know, that's a good question. Well, the answer goes like this. You don't win the lost by living like the lost. You win the lost by loving the lost and living like the saved. If you adopt the lifestyle of those who don't know the Lord, why would they want what you have? If your life is the same as theirs, why should they want your Jesus? Now, a hundred years ago, our evangelical ancestors gave us the proper formula. They said we are to be in the world, but not of the world. 
That means we are to live among the lost, loving them, befriending them, caring for them. And at the same time, we are to live by an entirely different set of values. Now, that that powerful combination of truth backed up by love is an irresistible force in this world. We can't reach people by lowering our standards or compromising our values. It's a good thing when the boat is in the water, but it's a bad thing when the water is in the boat. Now, here's statement number three. That blessedness comes from building your life on the word of God. So now we kind of go to the positive side of the ledger, and having refused to walk in the way of evildoers, we instead focus on knowing God's word. We do this because the true way to float rubbish out is to pour water in. You can't get rid of the garbage in your life simply by mental effort. You must replace the negative with something positive. Now, the psalmist tells us that the godly person delights in the law of the Lord. That means he loves the word of God, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. The the word delight means to take great pleasure in. It has the idea of a consuming passion that controls your life. Everyone delights in something. I mean, some people delight in food. Others delight in a job or a hobby or a career. I mean, some delight in a particular friendship. Many people delight in money or the things that money can buy. And many people delight in evil pleasures and wrong desires. So mark this well, friends. Your delight determines your direction. So what do you delight in? What gets you excited in the morning and keeps you awake at night? What do you daydream about? You tell me the answer to those questions and I'll I'll probably tell you something crucial about who you are. To delight is to be excited about something that you just can't wait. Now, apply that principle to the word of God, the biblical narrative. See, those who are blessed by God love his law and they meditate on it day and night. Now, meditate has the idea of digesting something thoroughly. It means to ruminate on a truth or to chew the cud by considering a verse or a passage or a truth from the word from various angles. The psalmist even specifies that we should meditate day and night. Now, on one hand, that simply means all the time. So when should we meditate? Well, any time is a good time. There's no wrong time to meditate on the word of God. But perhaps we should take the text quite literally. It is a very good practice to begin and end the day with God's word. That way we get started right and we end right. That way we discipline our minds to think biblically all the time. If we delight in the word, we will find a way to read it, to meditate on it, and even, guess what, memorize it. Well, statement number four, that blessedness is marked by stability and fruitfulness. The person who builds his or her life on the word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water. So their life is marked by the twin virtues of stability and fruitfulness. Well, let's consider the word stability, first of all. The idea of a tree planted by streams of water speaks of a a mighty tree with big branches and deep roots that go far down into the soil. Scientists tell us that when you see a large tree that's been growing for many years, you can be certain that it has a vast unseen root system. And many times the root system will equal or exceed the part of the tree above the ground. Now that's how the mighty sequoias last for centuries. In winter storms or summer drought, the roots hold the tree in place and ensure that it has enough moisture and nutrients to stay alive. Now how do you know when a tree has good roots? Well, the answer is when the storms come. All the trees look 
Well, they look pretty much alike when the sun is shining or a gentle rain is falling, but let a big storm with a fierce rain and howling winds pass through. Then the true difference is apparent. The trees with few roots are blown over, but the trees with deep roots are still standing when the storms pass. Now, for the child of God, we, we, we won't know how good our root system is until the storms of life come. And only then will we discover the strength of our spiritual foundation. And the only way to be ready for the storm is to spend time now delighting in God's word day by day, meditating on its truth and building a foundation deep and strong for whatever may come your way. Now, let's think about that word fruitfulness for a moment. To speak of fruit in its season means that the tree produces fruit that expresses the true inner character. Now, how do you spot an orange tree? Well, it produces oranges. How do you know it's an apple tree? Well, you look for apples. See, whatever is on the inside must eventually be seen on the outside. And applied to the spiritual life, that this means that when our roots are deep in the word, we will be given whatever we need whenever we need it. If we need love from the word of God, will come the strength to produce the fruit of love. If we need a forgiving spirit from the word of God, will come the strength to forgive. If we need courage, we will produce the fruit of courage. If we need patience and perseverance, the word of God will produce it in us. Now, that leads us to statement five. And it's this, that blessedness prospers in all situations. The last two phrases of verse 3 offer wonderful promises to those who delight in God's word. First, their leaf does not wither. Now, the phrase pictures a leafy tree that seems like an evergreen because its leaves are in season all year round. People like this are constantly refreshed by the word of God. They're constantly renewed. They draw on new strength for new situations. They're never boring, never living off of yesterday's blessings, but living each day in the strength of the Lord, whose mercies are new every morning. And second, they prosper in all that they do. Now, don't jump to the conclusion that prosperity refers only or mainly to material success, though they're certainly not excluded. They prosper in that no matter what happens, they find strength for the day and hope in the midst of the hardest times. They bring forth godly fruit in good times, and bad times. Now, why is that? It's because they're planted deep in the good soil and their roots reach out to the water of the word of God. Finding constant nourishment therein, they can face whatever life throws at them. The thought here is similar to Romans 8.37, where in the midst of struggles and sorrow and persecution and famine and distress and nakedness and the sword, those who know Jesus are, as Paul put it, more than conquerors through his divine power. And that triumphant deliverance comes to us in large part through the word of God. Now, let's look very quickly at the way of the wicked. Verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 1 say, Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now, the whole truth about the human race is found in just two words. Not so, not so the wicked. They are not like the righteous and therefore have no part in the promised blessing. And because they do not follow God's word, but have chosen a different path, God's estimation of them is entirely different. Well, first of all, the wicked are ultimately insubstantial. I mean, chaff refers to the husk that surrounds a nut or a kernel. It seems quite strong, but once the nut has been removed, it's light and insubstantial. Take a peanut in the shell, crack it open. After you eat the peanut, what do you do with the shell? 
you throw it on the ground where it just gets smashed. I mean, that's what the wicked are like in the eyes of the Lord. They look pretty powerful on earth, but to God, they're like dust that's quickly blown away. And their wisdom is like chaff changing every day. New theories, new ideas, new beliefs. Nothing solid, nothing definite, because the wicked live for themselves. They don't know right from wrong or good from bad. Now learn from this that life without God is useless, empty, trivial, and worthless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If a man lives for a hundred years and yet does not know God, he is just a piece of useless chaff, blown away and forgotten. And second, their true character will be revealed in the day of judgment. When the time for judgment comes, the wicked will not stand because, well, they have no roots. Everything about them is blow and show or bluster and brag and ego. But there is nothing of lasting value. With one breath, the Lord will blow all the wicked into hell. Meanwhile, the righteous will stand because they are like trees by the stream with deep roots in the word of God. The tree stands, the chaff disappears. That's why sinners won't be in the assembly of the righteous. They won't be there because the winds of judgment will have already removed them. And finally, let's consider the end of both ways. Verse 6 says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This verse describes what happens to the righteous and the wicked in the end. The righteous are preserved by God despite the trials of life on earth. The wicked will finally and utterly perish in hell. See, first of all, the righteous will endure because they're known by God. The Hebrew says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the righteous uh, he knows the righteous way a father knows his children. It's because of his loving kindness that his children are preserved through their trials and brought safely home to heaven. The wicked in their wicked ways will ultimately die. This is a sobering reality for the wicked that their way will perish. All that they have lived for will disappear like mist in the morning sun, and they themselves will perish along with the works of their hands. Their way comes to a dead end. Their life ends in destruction as they rush over the, the edge of a cliff, only to find themselves not annihilated but in eternal hell forever. Now, I freely admit that things don't always appear to work out this way. Several of the Psalms, notably Psalm 73, deal with the anomaly of the prosperity of the wicked versus the suffering of the righteous. And the answer goes like this. What we see in this life is not God's final verdict. Things today may seem quite inverted from the moral perspective of Psalm 1 when the wicked sometimes quite literally get away with murder. But God will have the final word because this life is not the final judgment. Now, let me wrap up this study of Psalm 1 with four quick conclusions that bring the truth home to this current day. First, casual flirtation with sinners soon leads to total domination by evildoers. We cannot escape the reality of this truth. If you run with the pigs, you'll smell like pigs. And pretty soon you'll look and act and dress like pigs. When that happens, don't be surprised if other people mistake you for a pig. What seems small to you today may lead to total domination by sin tomorrow. So be warned, don't play with fire if you don't want to be burned. And second, as long as the world is what it is, godliness must largely be negative. At the very least, godliness is a sinful, in a sinful world will always involve separation from evil. How that works out in your personal life is an issue between you and the Lord. I can't make rules that will fit every situation, but we dare not ignore the overall principle. Godliness involves much more than staying away from evil influences, but it is not less than that. 
If we ignore the negative, we'll never get to the positive. And third, people who seem successful by world standards will be judged total failures by God. Now, some of us will live in the shadow of these successful people for many years, and we may be compared with them in unfavorable ways. There isn't much we can do about that except to remind ourselves that the only evaluation that counts is God's. If we are faithful to him, everything will come out all right in the end. And fourth, the happiest people in the world are those whose lives are built on the word of God. I think we can state it in a more forceful manner. The only truly happy people in the world are those who follow the prescription of Psalm 1. Others may be happy in a temporary or worldly sense, but they do not know the deep, the joy and deep satisfaction that comes from living with God's approval. That is reserved for the true children of God. Let's pray. Lord, we cannot read this psalm without asking, what are we living for? In these crazy days when the world shakes beneath our feet as one year fades and another year comes before us, your word stops us in our tracks and shows us the truth. Have we discovered the blessedness that comes from a God-centered life or are we chasing the chaff, the dust that rises from a collapsing world system? Lord, you came to show us a better way. Help us to be the people of the word, delighting in what you have given us. May we say no to every form of evil, even the casual friendships that pull us in small ways away from you. Grant us the strength and resolve to say yes to you and to your word. Help us to live so that in the day of judgment, having built on the unshakable foundation of your word, we will not be blown away, but we will stand because you have made us to stand for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless. Happy New Year.